Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and in our walk with Christ. You joined us today, and we're right in the middle of a series from the Gospel of John. We're calling it Behold Your God. The central theme of the Gospel of John, as written by the Apostle John, is that learning about Christ and hearing what he said and did, his miracles and his teachings, and seeing his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, this should lead us personally, individually, to place our faith in Christ, to believe on Him as our own Savior and Lord. And if you've not done that and you join us today, this may help you reach that point today or very soon. As we mentioned in our episode last week, fully 57% of the Gospel of John is dedicated to the last week of the Lord's earthly ministry before His crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection, and then a period of time following that before He ascended to heaven. John devotes the bulk of his book to a little more than one week of the Lord's earthly ministry. So we come today to John 12, John chapter 12, and I'm calling this episode The Jesus Agenda. Let's read in John 12, beginning in the first verse. Now, you do need to know something. I, I should say this before we read it. If you've never heard this part of the Bible before, if you've never read the New Testament or the Gospel of John, if you're completely new to these things, what I'm about to read will be like, read that again? What happened? So let me give you a little context. In John 11, Jesus publicly, with, with no doubt scores of people, enemies included, standing around him, publicly raised a man named Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus had not been dead six hours or one day or two days or three days. Lazarus had been dead in a tomb for four days. And this was an impossibility. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ called him forth and he came from the tomb fully alive. This was probably the most astounding miracle of the Lord Jesus Christ to this point in his earthly ministry. So with that as a background, let's go to John 12, verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. Now, you don't hear that sentence every day. Let me read it again. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. 
And by the way, this was an indisputable fact. And his enemies knew it was a fact. They just didn't know what to do with it because they didn't want to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it was a certifiable fact that he raised this man who had been dead. He raised him from the dead. Verse 2. So Bethany, by the way, is about a mile and a half or two miles outside of Jerusalem. And as we mentioned in the last episode, when Mary and Martha were washing dishes, they could look out the window over the kitchen sink and say, I could see Jerusalem from here. It was that close. Verse 2, there they made him a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. So Jesus is the guest of honor, and and I would reckon so. I mean, he had restored Lazarus to life. He had turned the grief of Martha and Mary into rejoicing, and uh, it was just perfectly understandable. They gave a supper in his honor. Now, the thing that I notice about the Lord Jesus Christ so often, and we see it here, is People often think of him as a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And of course, this is true of him scripturally. But what we're seeing here is also true. Jesus is enjoying this meal provided by his three friends, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And other than rebuking Judas, as we'll see in a moment, and that, that, that being said in a moment, as we'll see, Other than that, there's no long teaching or anything here. In this context, Jesus is enjoying the company of these friends of his, these wonderful hosts. But it goes even deeper because Jesus is not merely a man. Jesus is the God-man. Jesus is God himself come in human form, as we have seen clearly stated by him in previous chapters such as John 10 and chapters before that. So let's see what happens here. There's not just friendship, but there's worship. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, normally the head of a guest was anointed, and here Mary uses this expensive perfume, this uh, what we might call an essential oil, on the feet of Jesus. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Now, many times during this period of time, people would invest in these these oils and perfumes because they were very costly. They were small, as one theologian said, they were small and portable, and they were very much sought after. So if you had money and you wanted to invest it, this would be a great place to invest it. This was going to go up in value, not down. Now, as we've mentioned, normally when a guest came to a home, 
their feet would be washed with water and they would receive a dab of oil on their head as an honored guest. But Mary, Mary just shows extravagant love and gratitude for the Lord Jesus Christ. And she anoints the feet of Jesus, even letting her hair down, which Jewish women did not do in public, and wiping the feet of Jesus with her hair. And the entire home was filled with this wonderful fragrance, as well as this wonderful worship. You know, acts of love for Christ leave a fragrance that lasts long after that act has been done. And I thought one time as I thought about this that the Lord Jesus Christ here is anointed this way. We're going to see actually what Christ thought about that in just a moment. But he's anointed in this way with this fragrant ointment. And no doubt the fragrance would last for a very long time. And Christ would be beaten and crushed and crucified. And I suspect that the fragrance of this ointment greeted even those who tortured him and crucified it. Now you would think with Jesus being the perfect God-man, having just raised Lazarus from the dead, he had been in the tomb four days, you would think that everyone would join in the worship, but you'd be wrong. And something I, I thought of also as we come to this point is Mary apparently did not use this on the body of Lazarus, her brother, when he had died. At least I'm assuming that because her concern in chapter 11 when Jesus was about to, uh, and I'm sure not sure it was Mary's concern, I can't remember if it was Martha or Mary, but the, their concern was in moving the stone that Lazarus had begun to decompose by that time and that there would be a stench. I wonder if she saved this to use on the Lord. Now, I can't prove that, or maybe she used a little bit with Lazarus. I don't know, but she definitely, she wasn't getting this ointment back that she poured upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Extravagant love, wanton worship is what is called forth from our heart when we realize what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. So again, you'd think that everyone would have been involved in that moment. But look at verse 4. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Now that'd be about a year's wages for, for a common laborer. And that sounds very noble. All these justice warriors around us today criticizing everyone and telling them how they should live their life and blah, 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 blah. They remind me of Judas. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said 
not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying has she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. You know what? I don't think that bothered Lazarus at all. Like, hey, kill me. Jesus has just raised me again. I don't think he was worried at all. You know, they had a Lazarus problem. It was simply a known, obvious, true fact. He had been dead for days. And he's eating a meal now with the Lord Jesus Christ at the table of Martha and Mary. And some believe that this may have actually been at a uh, Simon the leper's house from the other Gospels. Well, re regardless, and that may have been the case, but regardless, clearly Martha and Mary and Lazarus are throwing the party. <laughs> and Jesus is enjoying the party. The worship is flowing here. And then you have Judas piping up. But the Bible tells us, hey, he didn't care about the poor. He just would have taken some of that money if it had gone into the bag. So Judas is called out right here. You know, and if... If Mary were alive today and somebody said, Mary, what's your favorite song? It might be Can't Buy Me Love. <laughs> the reason I say that is this is a very valuable ointment here. But you know, the kind of love that the Lord Jesus Christ showed to Mary and Martha and especially to Lazarus, their brother, I mean, you can't buy that. There's no price tag you can put on that. So anything that Mary could do to honor the Lord Jesus Christ and worship Him, it, it was, was not enough. It, she, she wished she could have done even more. Well, Judas was of a completely different mindset, and so were many of the religious leaders. Because as we see in verse 10, but the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. Now, I want to ask you a question. On a, on a human level, the world over, what is the biggest problem that men, men face? It faces all mankind. What is that? Everybody owes a death, right? Yep, we all do. Now, I know about the rapture of the church coming in the future. I, I know about that. I know that... Enoch was raptured and Elijah was raptured and so forth. But just in general terms, 99.99% of the people who've ever lived owe a death, right? I mean, you get my point. Death is the biggest enemy that people face. And everybody from every culture, they would agree to that. Yeah, you're right. Jesus has just conquered death. And in a, about a week here in the Gospel of John, he's, he's going to personally conquer death 
by personally coming forth from the grave, just as Lazarus had done. Now, Lazarus would die again, no doubt. Jesus would never die again, so his was the ultimate resurrection. But anyway, you would think that <laughs> anyone who did that, everyone would line up and they would get want to get on his team. Not the chief priest, not Judas. And you know what? There may be some of you listening today that are saying that, well, I'm going to take a wait-and-see attitude toward Christ. Well, don't wait too long. He's the one that conquered death. You need to get with the program and put your faith and trust in Him. Don't be like the religious leaders. Don't be like Judas. Trust in Christ. That's what John is telling you right here. All right, let's go to verse 11. Because that by reason of Him, who's that? Lazarus because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh, in the name of the Lord. Now they're quoting here from Zechariah 9, 9. If the religious leaders had paid attention to what they knew to be true, they should have known that on this exact day, as prophesied in the Old Testament by Daniel and Zechariah, that the Messiah that they said they were looking for would come to Jerusalem. They should have known that, but they either ignored it or forgot it or didn't get it. But the crowd cried out after they took those branches of palm trees and they went forth to meet him and they cried. This is what they cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. So, I may have misquoted, uh, this is actually Zechariah 9.9 9 right here. Uh, perhaps not verse 13. I didn't look that up. But uh, anyway, in the Old Testament, all of this was prophesied. So Jesus rides in, fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. He literally comes into Jerusalem just like Zechariah said he would come in, riding on the ass's colt. Verse 16. Now, uh, by the way, some of you are thinking, well, see, Jesus was so crafty and the apostles were so shrewd that they, they set all this up and planned it so that Jesus would, quote, fulfill it and they would think he was the Messiah. Are you kidding me? Look at verse 16. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, 
Then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. So they didn't even understand what they were doing at the time. It was only later that it hit them, and they realized that this had actually fulfilled Scripture. Did you know that there are approximately 60 major Old Testament prophecies about the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and there are about 300 approximately related prophecies that were details of the 60 major ones, and there's been no person in history who's fulfilled every single one of these except Jesus Christ. He did. He fulfilled it. Now, you might say, well, that was just a stroke of luck. It all just happened that way, and it was all just a fortunate circumstance. I'm bad with numbers, so let me give you a, an illustration that may overwhelm you. If you took, um, tried to find any one person in history who had fulfilled about, um, I think the number is about 10 of these prophecies of the 60. I think that's the number, just, just 10. Any person who's ever lived in history fulfilling just 10 of these, what are the odds of that happening? All right, here's the illustration. Some mathematician figured this out. If you don't like it, take it up with him. If you took a silver dollar and marked it in some special, obvious way, that uh, painted it black, let's say. All right, so it's a black silver dollar you painted. And you fill the entire state of Texas with silver dollars. And you, I think like uh, three feet deep, I think is the illustration. And you tossed that one black painted silver dollar in the mist. And then you had a bunch of bulldozers, mix them all up so nobody could possibly know where that marked silver dollar was. You would have the same odds of someone fulfilling just 10 of those 60 major messianic prophecies. You would have the same odds of blindfolding a man. He walks into the state of Texas and he picks up just that black painted silver dollar on the first try. You would have the same odds mathematically of anyone in history fulfilling just 10 of the Messianic prophecies. Jesus fulfills 60 with 300 ramifications. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah He is the promised Christ, the Savior, the Deliverer, and the Apostle John presents this so clearly that whether you're Jewish or Gentile, it should be blatantly clear to you, Jesus Christ is no ordinary man. And you should place your faith and trust in Him as your own Savior and Lord. Verse 17, 
The people, therefore, that was with him, when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause, the people also met him. In other words, the people who had seen this amazing resurrection of Lazarus just a few days ago, they were telling everybody they met in Jerusalem about this. So the crowd couldn't wait to meet Jesus. For this cause, the people also met him, for they, that they had heard that he had done this miracle. Now again, you would think, well, what else do you need to see? Worship before the Lord Jesus Christ, right? I mean, that's the logical, common sense response. Verse 19, The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive he, ye how ye prevail nothing? Oh, the world is gone after him. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. So the Pharisees aren't happy. And now here comes another batch of people that want to see Jesus. Who are these Greeks? Well, they're Jewish people from the, uh, the rest of the Roman Empire, you know, Southern Europe and Asia Minor. And they were Jewish but they were more uh, Romanized or Greekized, so to speak, Hellenized than the more Orthodox Jews who lived in Israel. And so they want to meet Jesus too, and at least they have enough sense and enough desire to want to meet him, unlike many of the Pharisees. So they're thinking we need an inside route. What's an inside route? You know, we're not even respected by the other Jews here. Why would the disciples let us meet Jesus? So they pick out one who had a Greek name, Philip. That's not a normal Jewish name. That's a Greek name. So even though he was from Israel, they thought, well, maybe, maybe if we go through this Philip guy, maybe he'll give us an inside route to meet Jesus. Verse 21, The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. So everybody wanted to meet and see Jesus, and most people, with any sense, were realizing that this is the Messiah. This is the Savior. Verse 22, Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. Now, this is where my title, The Jesus Agenda, comes in. Listen, you should have an agenda for your life, and it should be the Lord's agenda for your life. And that starts with believing in Christ. But I've got something for you, even if you already believe in Jesus. I want you to think about this. If you don't fill your calendar, if you don't fill your agenda the way the Lord wants you to do it, then others will be happy to do so. Now, here is the Lord making his entrance officially, publicly, prophetically presenting himself to Jerusalem as the Messiah they so looked for, they said, and yet we have this group who want a special interview, I guess, so to speak, with the Lord Jesus Christ. I have never thought of this exactly this way, 
but I'm wondering if they sort of, sort of like, I want your autograph. I want to take a selfie with you, Jesus. Now, I don't know that maybe they, they were beginning to realize who he was, but uh, it just hit me right now while I'm teaching this that Christ is fulfilling prophecy here and these people want a special session with him. That just hit me. And maybe, maybe that's how it hit the Lord Jesus Christ too. Because in verse 23, look at this. And Jesus answered them saying, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. That is, let me put it in terms, that if, if I were to paraphrase this. Oh, oh you, want, you want a special interview with me? You, you want to meet me personally and privately? Listen, the, the, the time is now, the hour is come where everybody is going to see me and know who I am. You know, Jesus didn't need to do any more private interviews, especially with these people. I'm not saying he turned them away, but I'm just saying that the point is his agenda, the Jesus agenda is far greater than meeting with these five or 10 or 50 or however many people these were from the uh, rest of the Roman Empire. They were Jewish, but not Orthodox. Christ is presenting himself to Israel right here. So he, it doesn't say that he did or didn't meet with them. I don't think he did, just based on what I'm seeing right here. Verse 24. In other words, he had bigger things on his heart and mind than just meeting however many people these were. Verse 24. Verily, verily, or like truthfully, truthfully, Truth of truths. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, Glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, and an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he says, signifying what death he should die. The people answered, 
We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou that the Son of Man, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Now when Jesus said that, that He would be lifted up, it meant that He would be crucified. And they understood what He meant. So now, they, they want to ignore who He is, what He has come to do, that He's officially, publicly, prophetically, biblically presented Himself as the official Messiah and Savior and Christ of the Jewish people, indeed of the entire world, and they want to start arguing theology. They want to argue with Him. Now, let me show you why I know that Jesus had His own agenda, the Jesus agenda. And we should get on His agenda. We should pray that His agenda will be put on our calendar. Amen? Because Jesus does not even deal with them here. He's a, he has His agenda, and it's to go to the cross to die and bear the penalty for the sins of mankind, for all who will trust Him and believe Him, and rise again the third day to show that their sins are forgiven and that they can have eternal life through Him. That's the Jesus agenda. So He doesn't get drawn into their stupid theological arguments. Look at verse 35. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you, Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. Jesus, you see, if you're new to this podcast, saying, well, well, why didn't he answer them? That sure wasn't very polite. They were asking, hey, listen, come into the middle of my podcast and ask that question. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. I'm just kidding you. If you go back and listen to several of the earlier episodes of this podcast, you will discover that Jesus Christ in the temple with everyone watching, said, I am the light of the world. He had already told them he was the light of the world. He was the living water, that in him was abundant life, that he was the good shepherd, the door of the sheep, the bread of life, the water of life. I mean, what else had to be told? So he didn't get drawn into it. He stayed on the Jesus agenda and warned them to that they better act on the light they had about Him as the light of the world before it was too late. And, and then the last part of verse 36 says, These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide Himself from them. Verse 37 but though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. 
that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's from Isaiah 53, verse 1. By the way, if you happen to be from a Jewish family, you're Jewish, I want to give you a challenge. I want you to read Isaiah 53, and then after you read it, I want you to fall on your knees and ask the one that Isaiah spoke about, Jesus Christ, to be your Savior and Lord. Isaiah 53, written by Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet, was written at, at least 700 years before the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was some, uh, Isaiah 53, rather, is about Jesus Christ. And you will see that, and the Lord will open your eyes. So, John the Apostle quotes Isaiah 53.1 right here. Then John says in 39, Therefore they could not believe because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah's when he saw his glory and spake of him. Jesus Christ is eternal, and he revealed his glory to the prophet Isaiah, who wrote about Jesus centuries before the Lord Jesus Christ came to the earth in his earthly ministry. Isaiah saw the glory of Christ and wrote about him before Jesus was ever born in the manger in Bethlehem because he is the eternal God-man. Verse 42, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also, many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Now right now, you might be a Jewish listener and you're realizing who Jesus is, but something holding your back, you back is what will your family think? Will they have a funeral for you and declare that you are dead to them from this day forward? What will they say at synagogue? <laughs> Listen, don't be like those among the chief rulers who started to realize who Jesus was, but they cared more about what men said than the approval of God. Trust Jesus Christ. Verse 44. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world 
that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Jesus clearly claims here to be relaying the message from God the Father by His Spirit through God the Son. And that He Himself, He's already said in the Gospel of John, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And He says it all here again. You know, Jesus had His own agenda, the Jesus agenda. He came from heaven to this earth so that you could be saved. Now that might not have ever occurred to you exactly that way. It has been said that if you were the only one on earth that needed to be saved because of your sin, he would have still come and died in your place that you might be forgiven and go free and have eternal life. Have you responded to the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? If you've not done so, whether you're Gentile or Jewish, right now, call on the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord, that what He did on the cross would be applied to your sin, that you could be forgiven, that you could pass from death to life and have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Trust on Him now as your Savior and Lord. If you would like to speak with someone about doing that, maybe you, you have just prayed that, but you need some guidance and some help, call this number, 888-537-8720. One more time. 888-537-8720. And you can speak with someone about trusting Christ or the fact that you have just asked Him to be your Savior and Lord. And you can get free information about growing in your new Christian life and beginning to live the life the Lord has planned for you. The Jesus agenda is that you can be saved and live with Him forever in heaven. Thank you so much for listening today. I invite you to tell others about our podcast it's This Week in the Word, and it can be found at 
dredhill.podbean.com. Now, there's no period after the DR. It's just www.dredhill, that's E-D-H-I-L-L, dot podbean.com. Give this address to others and invite them to listen as well and grow in your knowledge of the Word of God and your walk with Christ. I'm so pleased that you tuned in today on our podcast, and I pray that this has been a blessing to your heart and that you will never, ever be the same again. And even if you were already a Christian, that like Mary, your love and devotion for the Lord Jesus Christ has only grown to even more extravagant depths of wanton worship, of love for Christ, for who he is and what he has done for you. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you this week is my prayer. We'll see you in our next episode from John chapter 13. God bless.